1: Short lead by Sebi, the pitch is hit in the air, deep to right, that ball is gone, White Sox win, the field of
0: dreams.
1: Do you like sports, cause we
2: like sports, let's talk about sports, it's Sports Check, Sports Jack. it's Sports Check.
1: Welcome to episode 345 of the Sports Yak Podcast. Oh, you mean the Tris Speaker episode.
2: Tris Speaker. Hall of Fame outfielder for the Red Sox and the Indians. Played with a couple of other teams at the end of his career. Batted 345 in his big league career. That is the fifth highest batting average in major league history. Also a terrific outfielder defensively. He still holds career records in things like assists. Uh, just a tremendous player, he's Tris Speaker. Family Broadcasting
0: Corporation, well, in association with the Studio DNA Podcast Network, presents oh, Sports Yak. Oh, One host knows sports, and who's right there? the other doesn't know sports, but somehow they meet in the middle. Here's your host, Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here! And
3: Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer... This one will be Chuck Freebie.
0: Forever!
1: Last night I'm at a restaurant with my wife and son, a couple of friends. There's about 10 people in the room total. And I glance up at the TV and Kevin Costner's on the screen. And it's like, oh, it's the Field of Dreams game. And we're watching without the sound... And then the players come out of the cornfield. And there's a moment in the restaurant, Chuck, and I don't mean to over-dramatize this, I think we needed to see that moment.
2: I think it's one of the best things that Major League Baseball, and for that matter, any professional sports league, has done in a long, long time. So I was shocked yesterday when you told me you have not seen the movie Field of Dreams. I have not. But I familiar made you familiar with the concept yes quickly in that here's a guy in iowa has a dream here's voices that says he needs to build a baseball field and and it winds up to be a great movie about fathers and sons but in the movie the 1919 white Sox emerge from the cornfield and get the chance to play again on this field so how appropriate That the Chicago White Sox, donned in their 1919 garb, walk out of the cornfield along with the New York Yankees, of course, the, the franchise of Major League Baseball. And what a great moment it was. Of course, Kevin Costner, as you mentioned, walks out onto the field first, and then he gets to kind of right behind second base and turns around and looks. And here they come three by three, three White Sox players and three Yankees players down the rows of the cornfield and Fox had a wonderful shot from behind of Aaron Judge walking through the cornfield and out onto the grass and terrific moment Um, well done well produced by Major League Baseball and then the game so I was emceeing an event last night stopped on the way home saw a friend I don't get home until the ninth inning well the ninth inning Honestly <laughs> was all you needed to see because the Yankees trail seven to four going to the ninth. Liam Hendricks, the Sox closer, is on the mound. He has been terrific this year, but he had blown five saves going into that game. Yankees get the leadoff man aboard. Aaron Judge hits his second homer of the night. It brings them within one. But there's two outs. Then they get a walk, and John Carlos Stanton, who's capable of hitting one out of any park, including Yellowstone, comes up and hits a line drive that just clears the outfielder's glove and the left field fence. All of a sudden, the Yankees have the lead. And they're they're looking like school kids. I mean, you couldn't have scripted this any better. So it's 8-7. Yankees have the lead. White Sox come up. Now, Raldis Chapman is not available for the Yankees. He's out with a shoulder problem. So the Yankees' bullpen isn't what it has been. And Tim Anderson, who is one of the dynamic players in Major League Baseball and having a great year, all-star shortstop, goes the opposite way, hits one out, and the White Sox wind up winning this by a count of 8-7. to seven. And what a wonderful shot as Anderson is coming around third base and coming down the line towards home plate. The fireworks going off out behind the cornfield. Anderson jumping up and down like a kid as he greets his teammates at home plate. So great moment for Major League Baseball. The White Sox magical season continues. Even though Carlos Rodon is currently on the injured list, Uh, They're just having a great year. Lance Lynn threw well last night, and the White Sox are playing real well. But that's not the only story for the White Sox this year. We are pleased to bring on to the Yak one of the big stories of the White Sox this week. In a week that they had some big stories, this Field of Dreams game that we already talked about, Carlos Rodon going on the injured list and Jason Benetti, the White Sox TV voice, going on the injured list with COVID. Lo and behold, I turn on my TV Monday night, and who's doing the White Sox game with Steve Stone? But my buddy Mike Monaco. And Mike has been kind enough to spend some time with us today on the Yak. So take me through the timeline of this, Mike. Obviously, the White Sox put out this tweet Monday afternoon talking about Jason having COVID and you filling in. But how much lead time before the game did you actually have knowing that you were going to do a White Sox game?
3: Um, Well, first of all, great to be with you guys. Thanks for the invitation. Um, And to answer that, Chuck, it was a few hours before that tweet went out. So it was around lunchtime um, on Monday when I first – got a text actually uh, about the possibility of filling in. And then there were a couple of hoops uh, to jump through just uh, for me really, as it related to the Red Sox and Nesson um, where I do some work as well to just make sure that they were okay with it, you know, going to broadcast for uh, a different team, not in the division, but, but in the league. And um, once that was absolutely okay with them and uh, a big thank you to them for that. Uh, then it was, OK, uh, you got you got about four hours until you're going to show up at the studio uh, to try to to try to be able to to broadcast, you know, even a fraction of the way that that Jason normally does with with Steve Stone and his whole crew.
2: And that said, so you go down to the NBC studios in Chicago. Was that the first time you ever met Steve Stone?
3: So I had actually met Steve um about five years ago, a little over five years ago, during the 2016 White Sox season, when he and Jason were kind enough to let me watch them for a few innings in the booth, their booth at Guaranteed Rate Field. So not that Steve remembered that by any means, but we uh, we had met briefly once upon a time. Um, and I've listened to, you know, a lot of them through the years, um, just because I think they are one of the best, if not the best, um, you know, local boots in in baseball. Um, you know, they're they're right up there with with the best of them. Um, so I, I've listened to him a lot, but but no, Steve and I had had really um, not had any prior relationship.
2: It went very, very well. And Steve said as much on Twitter. He was glowing in his praise. I don't know if you looked online at Twitter. I did because I was just curious. I figured there was going to be somebody that ripped you, and there wasn't. <laughs> How
3: did you feel it went? Uh, you know, I I I often try to stay off Twitter when I'm doing broadcasts because. I, I've fallen victim to it at other points in my life where, hey, you just open Twitter because I mean I, I look at it in game oftentimes because it's a you know a good news gathering device. Sure. And you follow beat reporters and that sort of thing. And you know if you, if you scroll over and click on the, the mentions tab, it, it doesn't really do you much good um, in game. So especially with how hectic Monday and Tuesday doing those two games were, especially on Monday, I just tried to stay off Twitter. For the most part so that's good to hear um that's that's very nice of of you to say and for you know those those fans and i i have seen and heard some nice things from fans who reached out um, and they understood the circumstances i think very well and were appreciative of it um but yeah i mean I, I i thought we we put together some good broadcasts and i told steve this and i told the crew this and um, it's not just them in game, but also the people who kind of helped me leading up to it. Like it was amazing the number of phone calls I was on in those you know four hours or so from when I found out from uh, until I went to the studio. I had people from the White Sox calling, people from NBC Sports Chicago. I talked to Jason. I talked to um, the producer Chris Withers. Like there were so many people who were so willing to help, and that was you know like it it doesn't happen without them. Um, and it really doesn't happen without in-game the whole crew led by the producer Chris the director Dave and Steve for the way he was because especially in the first few innings of the first game like he was jumping in and in a a non-forceful way just in a very natural way but sharing information that like I would have really had no way of knowing on that amount of notice and On both teams, you know, he's sharing stuff about White Sox players, Twins players. Um, So any credit that 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 I would get really belongs to them for for making it run smoothly.
1: We're talking to Mike via Zoom. So here's what Chuck and I see. Looks like an apartment, got a bookshelf, (laughs) a couple baseball hats, or as you like to call it, your broadcast booth. (laughs) Did I read correctly that you actually called the game from the apartment? And if so, what in the world is that like?
3: So Corey, you're exactly right. So not so not those White Sox games from the apartment, but for pretty much every game I've done for ESPN, with very rare exception. I've been sitting pretty much right where I'm sitting right now in my bedroom broadcasting whatever game it is. So I have broadcast basketball games that are being played at Cameron Indoor Stadium from right here. I have broadcast Little League softball games that are be playing being played in Warner Robins, Georgia. I've done major league baseball games from sitting right here. It's uh, an absolutely crazy world, but the technology is incredible. And I think, look, everyone would rather be at the ballpark, at the stadium, whatever it is. I don't think there's any denying that, but for the way that ESPN was so good to set this up for so many different people, I think that's what kind of gets a little bit glossed over. And maybe the, the, You know, behind the scenes production technology people might not be getting enough credit for this. Like, how many networks does ESPN have? You know, between ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, you know, all these networks, they're putting out all these games. They cover so many different sports. They've got hundreds of announcers and they have set this up for so many different people in, I don't know, you know, maybe almost every state around the country, something like that. So, uh, it's pretty incredible what they've been able to do.
1: Would you mind pulling back the curtain a little bit and just tell us kind of what it looks like for you, Mike? Is it a is it a handful of laptops? Do you have monitors? What are you looking at to call the game?
3: Sure, yeah, great question, Corey. Um so they so most of what I use is provided by them and they sent, you know, this equipment to the people who have these home setups. So what I'm looking at most in game is a thirty two inch monitor that has a stand and can you can kind of raise it up and down as you like um but you know picture any 32-inch monitor um and so that's where the program feed comes through so for people who aren't as familiar with tv broadcasting the program feed is the term for the announcers and for the crew that it's what you're seeing at home so when you're doing a game remotely you're looking at exactly what the people at home are looking at and you're calling it off that. So I'm looking at that screen, and then they also sent us a laptop, which is important for us to connect and get the audio connected and the video fed through back to us. And our video, we go on camera, fed back through to where the game's being produced. So then I also have a MacBook, and that is a second screen, which you can have additional camera angles there. Um, So in baseball, what I like to have on that screen is basically a camera that think of the football equivalent of an all 22. So we've kind of taken to calling it like an all nine. And so that you can see the whole field at the whole time. So that if the program feed is showing the right fielder, cutting the ball off in the right center field gap, I can look up to the all nine camera and see, okay, the runner at second, is he being held at third or is he going to the plate? So those are the two screens that I'm looking at most. I then have my personal laptop up. That's kind of where I keep my notes, just personal preference. So I'm looking at that. Then we have a, you know an audio box that connects our headset into it. That box is a little bit different than the way most boxes are in a standard non-COVID broadcasting world. I have talkback buttons, which would normally be able to be used to talk back to the producer in a normal game. We can talk back to the producer on one channel. Can talk back to your partner, who you're obviously not with, on a different channel. Can talk back to the stats person, who normally would be sitting next to you. In this case, they're somewhere remote too. Can talk back to them and say, "Hey, who who is that foul on?" Um, so that's a pretty nifty nifty setup as well. Sometimes I keep an iPad going as well for, I guess, a, a fourth screen. Wow. Um, because a lot of a lot of people when a lot of people prefer to have the promo reads anything that they have to read, you know, welcome to major league baseball on ESPN, this telecast presented by USAA. They prefer to have all those instead of printed out on a sheet of paper or as a PDF on my laptop. That's how I do it. They prefer to have it on another zoom feed and the producer will just put up which card is, is supposed to be read. Okay. So some people got as many as four or five. I've heard of people who have a ton of screens going, um,
1: 2021 man so
3: yeah that's pretty, much, Can yeah, that's pretty that? much uh that's pretty much the setup i would say it's it's like your own little
2: production truck right yeah. there i assume somebody came in and hooked although you're young so you probably know how to hook all this stuff up if it were me i would need you know they'd have to send a guy from comcast or something to to come hook it all up for me
3: yeah, um, so they didn't send anyone. Uh, I am young. I That does not help me out too much in this case. <laughs> I was still uh, looking for help. And you know what? We did it all on FaceTime or Zoom with people back in Bristol, uh, ESPN's headquarters. And those people there, you know, we set up a time. They did this with everyone, and they were incredible. Like, they're doing this with Tim Kirkton and Buster Olney and Jeff Passan sure. and Woj and Schefter have these setups to begin with. Those are the guys who normally have these setups, like the Woj and the Shefters. And now you got to send me one of those setups, and like they're now tasked with outfitting all of me and the the other, you know, the other people way down the the, the totem pole at the company. And so they're getting all these people caught up to speed um, virtually, and and not in in most cases not sending people in.
2: The mechanics of this are interesting to me too, Mike, because. You and I, way back when, when you were a student at the University of Notre Dame, did games, calling games off a monitor, but we were together in the studio. We could kind of make eye contact or hand signals to let each other know when we were going to talk or or when we needed to be quiet. You don't have that luxury all the time. You had with Stoney the other night. He was in the same studio. But I know the first game that you did on ESPN, you were where you are now. Eduardo Perez was wherever he lives. Tim Kirkjian was in a studio in Bristol. How do you get the flow going with everybody so that you don't talk over each other?
3: It's hard. That's the, the short and direct answer, Chuck, um, because there's also a little bit of a delay at play. And so, if, you know, I want to be really sure, whoever my partner is, that he or she is done talking because it 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 doesn't sound great when you're both going at the same time as understandable as that is and what i've kind of done and what other people have you know we've all kind of talked about hey what's the best way to handle this if that happens you know just one person kind of keep going it it gets more awkward if you if you as a listener here oh no oh sorry no no you go and like if you're acknowledging it to that extent it's just hey it happened people kind of know it's gonna happen just keep going with it but um so, you know, it helps that we've already laid out the the screen setup a little bit. So we're be, we're watching this game over Zoom. I am logged into a Zoom, and they are feeding me the program feed through Zoom. So I am in a Zoom call, and so that like any Zoom call, you have the participants. Like we are on Zoom right now, and if we had seven people in this Zoom, you know, we could put up um, one of those like tool like the the toolbar with the little right. um you know, small, small headshots of the people in their video. So I pull that right. I drag that over onto the big screen right next to the program feed. And so while I'm looking at the program feed, I'm also looking at my partner. And it's a small. And some people put. And I mentioned you know other people using big screens or more screens. Some people will put just that their partner on an iPad just so they can have them blown up and know for sure when they're done talking. Understood. Um, so you really kind of go based off feel and when they're done, but I'll give you a, like a funny one. So I was calling a game um, similar to, to what you were describing, like with Tim Kirchin and Doug Glanville. And it's like the second inning. I've never met either of these guys. You know, we've just been talking, gearing up for Giants Diamondbacks during the week together. And it's the second inning. And I asked Tim Kirchner a question. He just doesn't hear me. Like he, uh, the connection cut out for a sec, whatever it was doesn't hear me. And Doug and I are looking at each other in our Zooms like, is he going to talk? Like, did he hear me? <laughs> and Tim, after a couple seconds of silence, kind of senses something, something happened here that he missed. And so he's like, Hey Mike, did you ask me a question? <laughs> and we just start dying laughing, you know, like what else can you do? Sure. Um, and, and he played it off grade and, you know, made a joke about it. Not that it was his fault, uh, just about the situation in general, but like, you know, that stuff's gonna happen. You're not sitting next to the person, uh, and, and it's it's interesting, Chuck, that you mentioned like being with with Steve Stone in the studio together, like sitting next to him, and and having never worked with him before, like a lot of like similar to my example with with Tim and Doug Glanville. Like when you're sitting, when you're working with people for the first time, you're even more leaning into like, hey, I want to know when they're done talking because I don't know their rhythms yet. Right. So it was amazing how much I was looking over at Stoney being like, is he going to jump in here or should I say something? Because you're feeling out a brand new partner and that's been totally lost with doing it over Zoom.
2: Let me tell you, Corey, this guy, first time I worked with him was a hockey game at the University of Notre Dame. I think they might have been playing New Hampshire and... All I know is I'm going to be working with a Notre Dame student. So I had never met Mike before. I have no idea how seriously he's taking this, if this is something that he wants to do or he's just doing to help them out. And I showed up and I was so impressed with his preparation that he had done for a game that I thought, This guy's going to go places, and so that's why I had him when I had to sit out for a baseball weekend because I was here for basketball. I said, "Hey, would you be willing to go to Georgia Tech with the Notre Dame baseball team?" And he graciously filled in, and you know. So I'm listening on the way to my game, and it's like this this guy's good. (laughs) But you've still had to pay your dues a lot. You've bounced around to a lot of different places. And even what you're doing now, yeah, you're on ESPN, you're on Nesson. You got to still scramble for gigs, don't you?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, Chuck, and you and I have spoken about this many times, and I've thanked you, but uh, I do owe you a ton of thanks always for that. And it was so cool to fill in. Uh, I still remember that first time. Like, I had not been on many road trips before, you know. Um, That was before I had worked in minor league baseball ever because that was – that was what 2015. So I yes. hadn't yet worked in minor league baseball. I hadn't been on the road before. I had certainly hadn't been flying with a team like that. Um, and uh, to have the chance to do it that year and the next year was was so neat, and I am so gracious and thankful for it. Um, but yeah, you know, it's um, look. I mean, it's not like I'm you know anyone's digging ditches for a living. It's awesome, and we get to do it. But especially when you're starting out calling games in. You know, for for different minor league teams, and maybe moving twice a year, like I was doing. I, you know, I wasn't a full time employee of a minor league baseball team, so I would be a seasonal employee, making, you know, not not much money, maybe a thousand dollars a month for the six months of a minor league baseball season, and then I would go live somewhere else, Kalamazoo, Michigan, for basketball season, and I'd live there for four months, and then probably the other two months I'd live with my mom back in Massachusetts, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, you're, you're all over the place. Um, and yeah, you, you know, it, it's not as much scrambling now because, you know, I'm very fortunate that I'm a full-time ESPN employee, but there is also like you go where they send you to go. So, you know, they, they needed someone to fill in on little league softball uh, a couple weeks ago because uh, something came up with someone and they were scrambling. So can you do Little League softball this weekend? Yeah, of course, you know, it's you're, you're my employer uh, and I'm happy to do it. And it was a ton of fun. Um, but so, yeah, it, it is still a little bit that you, um, you know, you, you could be getting pulled in a number of directions, is I guess what, what I'm trying to say there is that's kind of a, the lifestyle a little bit still. And especially right now, you know, this is a little atypical um, to have done, you know, ESPN stuff. Ness and stuff, and then this, you know, atypical and unfortunate from a Jason sense, uh, circumstance doing the White Sox, th- even more so, it feels like I'm kind of back to the old ways of you know freelancing when I was calling games for like three different companies, sure, for the basketball season.
1: I don't want to eat up too much of your time, and I know Chuck's probably got a couple more questions, so these will be my final two, but you choose just one, okay? I'm going to give you the two <laughs> I want to know about you, you choose one. One is You're a baseball fan growing up. Who did you hear that you said, I want to do that? Or what was it like when I now work for ESPN? You choose which one.
3: Um, I'll give you both really quickly. Um, Baseball fan growing up, I didn't know I wanted to be a broadcaster. But the sounds that I associate with my youth, um, I would say on a national level, Joe Buck and Tim McCarver, and especially Tim McCarver. Like I can hear his voice breaking down a game whenever it would be that I would tune in, you know, to, to the big playoff games or whatever it was the national games. Um, and then Don Orsillo, Jerry Remy and uh, Joe Castiglione and Dave O'Brien, Red Sox TV and radio at the time announcers when I was growing up. Um, so listening to a ton of them, when I found out, you uh, I was, I, I remember the phone call, like, Hey, ESPN is offering you a contract. And it wasn't something that had been talked about, um, leading up to that. So like, that was a stunning, stunning phone call to get. Um, and yeah, kind of exactly as you, as you intimate there, Corey, like just, wow, this is really cool. And I'm really grateful, uh, to have, to have a job at a great company like that.
2: Do they know you're on this podcast today? <laughs>
1: have
3: they? I think, uh, I think the three of us are the only one that
2: because that that, right that could be the the end of your career. Well, I was right going to say, okay. have
1: they uncovered any of the like back when you were the observer, there was a sports talk show you and a buddy had. Is there proof <laughs> or audio archives of that? No one needs to see those
3: things.
2: No <laughs> one needs to Are you doing any more White Sox games?
3: Yes. Uh, so we record this on a Friday. I'm not sure when it airs, but Saturday and Sunday, I'll be doing those games as well. Um when they finish their series with the Yankees um, here in Chicago from the the continuation of what started out in Iowa. Um, so I'll do those two. And then I think uh, either uh, – I'm not sure. Someone else will be doing – if Jason's not back for the Oakland series, I head out uh, to Williamsport, Pennsylvania next week for the Little League World Series. So someone else will be popping in um, with, with Stoney if Jason's not back by then.
2: So you actually get to be at an event – next week
3: in person uh our whole crew will be in Williamsport uh it's going to be awesome first of all just to to do that event but to be there in person too like for ESPN I have done I think I'm at I think I've done like 80 games for them um around 80 games in the since COVID started and I've done one in person and it was a Missouri Valley Conference basketball game. So, and they let in about 300 fans there. So, that is the only game for ESPN I've done in person.
2: You you've worked around for a little while now. Have you been starstruck at anybody when oh, yeah. when you met who? Uh
3: a lot of people. Um like like even Steve Stone, like maybe not starstruck, but like and I told him this. I was like, I, "I've listened to you a lot. I, I got it. There aren't many better analysts than you ever. I, like, you're, you're Steve Stone. You well, know?
2: and the man's been doing games since before
3: you were born. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like he's. He, you know, we went to lunch the other day, and he's telling me stories, and I'm like, man, like what? What an incredible life! Um, and then, uh, you know, like it was the same way with Jerry Remy and, and Dennis Eckersley too. Um, and I'll just give you, cause it's more recent. I worked with, with Eck last week on three games on Red Sox games. And I, you know, I've done games with Eck before I did games with him in 2019 and in the 2020 season. So it's not like I, I don't know him, but still like when I'm sitting in the, the doing the games remotely, when, when we're sitting in a green room and we're just talking, like it, we're just like any broadcast partners would be it's still like a pinch me thing. Like you're listening to like the stories he tells or, and not even just stories, like his thoughts on what happened in major league baseball last night. They're like, man, I cannot believe it. And I'm sitting there dying laughing because of just how funny he is and how much enthusiasm he has. And I'm, I, I'm just like, wow, you know, does it get any better than this?
2: As a wrap up, because I don't want to take any more of your time. What, what would be the ultimate? I realize you're kind of living the dream now, but what would be the ultimate thing that you would want to do, whether it's like Joe Buck and host Jeopardy, uh, whether it's uh, like Tarico and do the Olympics? Maybe it's something completely off the radar. What would be where you would do that and say, man, th- this is really something beyond my wildest dreams?
3: Funny you ask that, Chuck. Steve Stone at lunch the other day asked me that exact question. Um, well, we're both
2: old, so that's why we <laughs> ask questions like that.
3: I was going to go with brilliant, but uh, <laughs> you pick your adjectives. Um, I I don't have like a tangible, um, you know, like totally crystallized answer to that because you said this in part of your question, like. I am living the dream and that's not to feed anyone a cliche. Um, but, and I've said this before, but like, again, I was the kid growing up truly who like, if my aunt or my uncle asked me like, Oh, what's your favorite sport? When I'd see them at the holidays, because they knew I was into sports as a young kid. Like I didn't give them an answer. It, it was whatever was in season because I was playing a sport, maybe multiple in whatever season it was. And I love that. And I still love that. So, I mean, yeah, what I would love to, to do a major league baseball team full time and you know do national games too and call the olympics call the super bowl march madness whatever it is yeah i would love to um so so some combination of you know having a a local connection and doing a team and then also doing national games i would say some of the events that i love i mean the world series is awesome uh, march madness is awesome um the NBA Finals, you know, like w- whatever it is, you know, I think we all would love to do the the big events someday, but, but truly, like I've said this to people, like I was a kid growing up who in the summer when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, the only thing that cared that that mattered to me was our baseball team trying to get to Williamsport, Pennsylvania. So next week in Williamsport at the Little League World Series, like that will be one of the coolest, coolest experiences, not just of my career, but of my life. Sure. Cause I've never been there and I cannot wait for that. So, um, it's not it's not a cliche, but uh, but it it really is the the truth that, that just kind of enjoying the the journey.
2: Somehow it eclipses scoring two goals against Hull your senior year.
3: You know that was a pretty big deal for me. At the time. <laughs> I was a defensive midfielder. I was a captain. I wasn't an all star in the league, but we had a good team. We made a run. We still talk about it. We lost to a kid, speaking of UNH, who went on to play at UNH. Otherwise, we feel like we could have been state champs. But, uh, yeah, big two-goal game against all our rivals really stuck it to them.
2: a boy. That's Mike Monaco. (laughs) I'm so proud of you. Uh, Just keep up the great work. Saturday and Sunday, White Sox on NBC Sports Chicago, and then next week on ESPN. Uh, I assume ESPN could be ESPN2, yep. it could be the Ocho, ESPN. I don't know, but uh, the Little League World Series. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much for spending a half hour with us. Really appreciate it.
3: Chuck, Corey, no need to thank me, guys. I really appreciate it and enjoyed it. A uh, ton of fun chatting with you guys, and, and Chuck in particular, thanks for, for all you've done to for me in my career I, I i never forget it and i'm always grateful for
2: it. i just stayed out of the way and let you be good <laughs> just to finish up the baseball talk after mr monaco by the way that that's the first time you got a chance to meet mike what mm-hmm. did you think
1: uh i can't believe he's 28 yeah no kidding Uh and i just love that he is grabbing the opportunity as he can at 28 years old you know and i think about my boy over here on my left, did he miss an opportunity? No, you had family, you have kids, you have a responsibility. Looks like a young dude who's not tied down to anything. He can kind of be mobile.
2: Well, the other thing we didn't get into is that he got opportunities at Notre Dame to actually call games for a couple of years. That gives you a pretty nice tape when you start looking around yeah. at places. Yeah. And so he was able to parlay that into the internship at the South Bend Cubs. He was able to parlay that into doing these Western Michigan games. But as he mentioned, that's not an easy life. Right. I mean, you've got to you've got to be willing to travel to different places. You gotta be willing to go and not make a lot of money at the beginning. Yeah. I'm so happy for him now though that he's paid his dues. I mean he's done Western Michigan. He went to the Fort Wayne tin caps for a year. Got a big break going to Pawtucket, doing AAA baseball out there. So he's he's bounced around a little bit, but having the full time gig at ESPN is great for him. And he's a rising star, folks. And if you don't know that from watching the White Sox this week, I implore you to watch these games Saturday and Sunday with him and Steve Stone. They're going to be terrific.
1: In other news, the Cubs are a lot like a fart in the car. Oh,
2: wow. Man, oh man And you don't get to roll down the windows You just have to (laughs) sit there And endure it
1: There's your metaphor, take
2: it 17-4 yesterday They lose to the Brewers They have lost 9 straight to the division rivals They have lost 14 of their last 16 Jake Arrieta was so bad On Wednesday night They just gave him his unconditional release And Pause button He's fired Basically, yes Now, if he wants to go sign on with another team, but at this point, I don't know anybody else that's going to go get him. He has the worst ERA of any Cubs starter who has pitched in 20 games or more in history.
1: So, so the Cubs aren't going to be calling him anymore what's left of this season. like you, Not you, what's left of this season. No. Maybe what he
2: does is he, he rests. He maybe tries to strengthen his shoulder a little bit, see if he can get some magic back and try to catch on with the team next spring. Or maybe he just says, you know, that's it. I don't have it anymore. Empty tank. But whatever the case... Uh, he's done, Contreras is on the injured list. You you look at the lineup the Cubs put out on the field yesterday behind Kyle Hendricks, and make no mistake about it, Hendricks wasn't good, the bullpen wasn't good, and that lineup they have behind him. Rafael Ortega has swung the bat well. He's been terrific. Other than that, there's nobody out there where you say, oh, my gosh, I've got to have them on my team. So it'll be really interesting to see what they look like in 2022, but I'm not sure we have to talk about them much more in 2021. Actually, the Tigers have a better record than the Cubs right now. They just finished off a sweep of Baltimore last night by a count of 6-4, to four. so A.J. Hinch's team, again, threatening to get to the 500 mark. And then a tip of the cap to the South Bend Cubs. They have won six in a row, and last night they did it with three pitches including their uh, second-round draft pick of a year ago, Burl Calloway, combining on a no-hitter against the Fort Wayne Tim caps. The South Bend Cubs had a no-hitter back in 2019. Of course, they didn't play last year. And three-pitcher combined no-hitter last night in Fort Wayne to win 3-0. And they're playing well right now, having won six straight. I don't think they're going anywhere in the playoffs. But who knows? Maybe they'll get hot just in time for that homestand coming up next week at Four Winds Field and Kowalewski Regional Stadium.
1: Does Notre Dame have a starting quarterback yet?
2: I think they do, even though Brian Kelly hasn't announced it. We talked about this on the Yak on Wednesday. Jack Cohn will be the man for the Fighting Irish. For whatever reason, Kelly reticent to announce it. Well, he did say he he wants to tell the quarterback room himself, and he hadn't really had a chance to do that after practice yesterday. But the media got to watch the full practice yesterday. I did not go, but my trusted eyes that uh, were there talked about the fact that Drew Pine, who would be a contender for the number two spot through two interceptions while Cone didn't turn the ball over at all, that Tyler Buckner um, just looked erratic throwing the football. He's a dynamic player. He can do some things well, but he's not there yet. He's only a freshman. And this is the whole reason you brought Jack Cohn in from – Wisconsin as a grad student transfer you're only going to get him for one year and Kelly was quick to laud Cone yesterday talked about how he's more athletic than people give him credit for his arm strength is superb we've seen on video a number of downfield throws that Jack Cone has made that quite frankly we weren't seeing from Ian Book in the last three years so I think Cone's got a stronger arm than Ian Book does does he have the accuracy does he not turn the ball over? Because that, those were the strengths of Ian Book when he played well, and we'll have to see if that's from Jack Cohn. But so far, so good with Cohn, and, and I think by the time we get to this point next week, there's no question Jack Cohn will be named the starter for Notre Dame. The big question is, can Notre Dame build up that offensive line? Kelly was pleased with what he got from his offensive line yesterday. They're working without Blake Fisher right now at tackle because he's out with concussion protocol. He should be back in time for the season, but you don't want to lose freshmen early in practice because there's such a learning curve for them to make. But so far, so good out of Notre Dame practice, although we haven't really been allowed to see a whole lot.
1: High school football scrimmage tonight In Indiana. What's going on there?
2: Perfect weather for it. Right? And uh, Mm. after a very volatile week around here, terrific weather for these high school teams to go out and scrimmage. It's interesting. Teams look for different things from scrimmages. You might still be trying to settle a position. I went down to John Glenn this week to scout out the Falcons a little bit. Austin Faust telling me that you know he wants to see a couple people take charge of that running back position so that They know who they're going to rely on in the backfield. Other teams, maybe it's more you're set at certain spots. You want to see how some younger players do. You only get a set number of plays on offense and defense. Um, I think it winds up being something like a total of 27 plays uh, each team gets to run. So you've got to be careful how you allot your snaps and everything like that. But the fact of the matter is you're still, you're lining up against somebody in a different uniform for the first time, and the season starts one week from tonight, and I cannot wait (laughs) to get out there for Mishawaka and Marion in our TV 46 opener.
1: Especially since what we heard from Mike, where he's sitting in an apartment calling 79 games. Yeah. You get to be in a press box next week.
2: I get to be in a press box. We got to be in press boxes all last year. We didn't really, and we got to be in gyms all last year we didn't really have to suffer through the pandemic the way you had to at the college and the professional level and still have to. Mm -hmm. So that's good for us. It's different. I've called games off monitors before. It's a different kind of experience. One story that uh, Mike didn't tell and we didn't get into, I think that first Giants-Diamondbacks game that he referenced with Doug Glanville and Tim Kirkjian, the director stayed on a camera shot, so the pitch is delivered. The ball is obviously well-struck towards right field, but the program feed does not switch. For whatever reason, they stay on the shot, and you can kinda see the pitcher hanging his head a little bit, but at the last second, they cut to the ball disappearing behind the right field wall. And I texted him the next day, I said, you got Hunt out to dry a little bit, didn't you? He goes, oh my gosh. He goes, I'm just trying to buy time until they cut to the next shot. Because even on the all nine, he couldn't really see it well enough to tell right. whether it was going to be caught or not. And finally, he saw the ball disappear over the wall and could call the home run. It's a lot different when you're at the game. So we're, we're very thankful that we've been allowed to go to press boxes and in gyms and and call games, and we're looking forward to our 32nd season of doing
1: that on TV46. NBA, NFL preseason tonight and tomorrow.
2: Yeah, the Lions get underway tonight with their brand new coach, Dan Campbell. They take on Buffalo. I'm interested to see what the Bears will show us tomorrow against the Miami Dolphins. How much Andy Dalton? How much Justin Fields? Who Justin Fields gets to play with? Does he get any reps with the number ones? Will he be out there with the number twos? That's the big story, I think, for the Bears through training camp. The Colts open up against Carolina down at Lucas Oil. Now it's the first preseason game. I think we all know you're not going to see a, uh, a finished product by any stretch of the imagination. However, you do get to keep your eye on some rookies and, and see how some of the younger players do, maybe see what – Uh, Jacob Eason or Sam Ellinger look like at quarterback for the Colts? Obviously, that's where the eyes go to mostly. And for the Lions tonight, what's Jason Goff going to look like at quarterback in his first game with his new team?
1: Want to talk NBA real quick, get that little money update there?
2: Kawhi Leonard, uh, boy, the money really flown in the NBA these days. Kawhi Leonard, four years, $176.3 million to sign with the L.A. Clippers, so he is able to cash in on a max contract payday there. Of course, Luka Doncic was able to get a huge contract with Dallas earlier in the week. It doesn't always work out, though. There's a player named Dennis Schroeder who signed with the Celtics this week for $5.9 million. Now, don't have to have the telethon. He's going to get $5.9 million. But he turned down an offer from, I think it was Phoenix, for five years 120 million because he thought he could get more and then when he went back to them they said no i'm sorry we don't have any left we went and got somebody else and wound up having to settle instead of 24 million he settled for 5.9 now again no telethon needed (laughs) but that's a lot of money you left on the table
1: yeah yes it is
2: One other story to look at, and that's what happened at BYU yesterday. We've talked about this name-image-likeness situation. It affords you different opportunities with your sponsors if they're willing to spend the money, and apparently BYU has one in a company called Built Bar. It's a protein bar company that partners with the university. I say partners. They're a sponsor of BYU Athletics. Obviously, they get... The chance to put their products in front of BYU athletes, have their products talked about, et cetera, et cetera. So, Built Bar decided that they are going to hire as employees the 36 football walk ons at Brigham Young University. And in doing so, now they're paying the scholarship football players $1,000 to be spokespeople for Biltbar, But for the 36 football walk-ons, they're paying them enough for their full tuition. Here's the catch. The money does not go directly to the school. Like, if T.J. Freebie gets a scholarship at Purdue, that money goes into Purdue's coffers to pay for his tuition. There's no pass-through to T.J. Freebie. This money is paid directly to the football walk-ons because they're employees of Bilt Bar. Now, those football walk-ons can then turn the money over to the university if they wish, or <laughs> they can just keep it. But here's the other thing that these players need to be aware of. They're going to get taxed on that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
2: And so don't go spend an all... Whatever it is. I don't I have no idea what tuition at BYU is, but for the sake of argument, let's say it's twenty five thousand dollars a year. Don't spend all twenty five thousand because Uncle Sam's gonna be coming and saying, uh, I need my percentage of that. Mm-hmm.
1: I was last night years old when I learned that gold medalists get thirty five thousand. Yes, I had no idea about that. And then it goes down with each medal, but right. You know. USA Wrestling,
2: I think, put out a tweet about how much they are paying out this year because of the performance of the U.S. wrestling team. Hmm. So that's good for them. Sure. It, it doesn't come close to what they – you look at somebody like a Katie Ledecky and what they get in sponsorships and th- things right. like that. 35000 right. is somewhat chump change for that. However, if you're perhaps maybe the gold medal surfer – from Hawaii or the gold medal trap shooting guy from Kentucky, mm-hmm. uh, that's
1: a nice little payday. You're on Twitter, right? I have been known to be there at forty six Sports. Me too. At my name is Corey, and of course, Sports Yak with two K's. Great episode, in my humble opinion.
2: Thank you, and thank you again to Mike Monaco for being gracious with his time today. Before he embarks on a rather busy week for him. Until next time, everybody. Ooga-looga, Tris Speaker, you gray eagle, you. We've
3: had some fun, yeah. The show
2: is done. Now we gotta run. It's Sport Shack. Sport
0: Shack. Sport Jack is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. We done. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies.